0: Welcome to Rooted by the River podcast, the official podcast of First Baptist Church, Savannah, Tennessee. My name is Braylon Lashley, and I'm the associate pastor of worship and youth and media and lifting heavy things when need be and uh, celebratory lunches. And I am joined by my friend, brother, senior pastor, colleague, softball enthusiast, fisherman, um,
1: I'm running out of words here. So out of your responsibilities, music, youth, celebratory lunches, and lifting heavy things, what are you the best at? Depends on the day. Depends on the But I would like day. to say celebratory lunches is up there. Yeah, lifting heavy. Uh, something heavy up to eat, I think is uh combining of the two. So you're, you're good. At, you're, you're pretty good. There you go. My left singing. bicep is bigger because of the fork yeah, coming to my go. mouth. There you go, bro. Uh, well, good to see you, man. Glad to be recording and uh, excited about our time together. You've been doing all right. Yeah, man. Been doing great. We have uh,
0: really just caught stride for the fall and uh, we've got High school football coming, and we've got school back in session. We're continuing with our sanctification class on Wednesdays. We've done a new song of the month. Uh, We're prepping for men's conference. Uh, Man. Uh, And we have uh, this next Tuesday a full anatomy scan for our new baby boy, Callahan Joe.
1: So we're excited about that. That's great man. Certainly praying for you guys and uh your little one and pray that that appointment Tuesday obviously goes well and the Lord just continues to provide health and goodness and grace for mom and baby for sure man. Excited for you guys for that.
0: Yeah man, absolutely. Absolutely. How
1: about y'all? What's uh what's been happening in your life? Uh just been kind of getting ready for school. Uh we've got Lois's birthday coming up our oldest. She's going to be 11. Typically, her birthday will come and go, which inaugurates the start of school. So you have the highest of highs for her celebrating her birthday and then the lowest of lows with school starting very quickly after that. So Doozy's kind of getting ready with curriculum and planning and prepping that. And we, yeah, certainly have turned the corner on summer and leading into a great fall. We've been planning and praying accordingly, both family and family. And here at the church, and we've got some great, exciting things coming up uh, to include your uh, white water rafting. Can you, can you tell us some more about yeah, that? Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped about that. We uh,
0: are actually almost full. I, the deadline has already passed, and we are, I believe, 19 or 20 strong right now which we had 21 spots, so that's just fantastic, Uh, an uptick from last year. And uh, so what's going to happen is that we are going to leave on Friday, September 1st after school, and then we are going to make our way over to the outdoor adventure rafting. And uh, this year we have a different cabin that we're staying at about 15 minutes away, and uh, it's on a retreat center, and I'm really excited. It looks really cool, man.
1: So the Bible talks about wailing and gnashing of teeth, and it's related obviously to eternal punishment, but There was some wailing and gnashing of teeth last year about the whole cabin situation. So you got it straightened out? We got it all straightened out. Uh, We have
0: gone from the dirt-clad floor and (laughs) holes in the wall to something that uh, has good running AC, is clean, and probably has a hot tub, I'm pretty sure.
1: Well, so yeah, talk about uh, lowest of lows to the highest of highs. That's it, man. Excellent, man. I'm glad to
0: hear that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got a couple of things that we want to make our listeners aware of that uh, are coming up in the life of our church and in the community. The first one is the one that uh, is the closest to us as far as date wise. Tomorrow we have a home football game for Hardin County. So uh, go out, I believe it's seven o'clock start time, go out and support your boys and uh, just show your team spirit. The second thing is our men's conference. Our men's conference is next week, August 25th and 26th. Uh, Todd Brady's going to come. He's going to do a great job speaking. We are doing it jointly with Sharon Baptist this year, myself and Jeremy, and uh, members of his band and our band, and old Rev Lash is going to make an appearance as well. We're going to worship the walls down.
1: Special guest, Reverend Brian Lashley, your dad, coming to help you guys lead the music. And yeah, we couldn't be more excited about the men's conference coming up. We have been just looking at the details, everything from the amount of fish we need for the fish fry, the amount of donuts we need. So we we take that food planning pretty seriously. So we've been doing that. We have been uh, just setting schedules, getting volunteers going. We're going to ask some ladies to bring desserts and all of that to uphold just a a wonderful weekend of worship. So, so pumped about the music, excited for you and Jeremy and so many others to lead and to lift our voices uh, for the glory of God. And then to be challenged, to hear the word proclaimed, Todd Brady, great preacher, going to do a tremendous job. And just reminding us of the spiritual battle, the armor of God, stepping up, being leaders, and uh, we couldn't be, uh, again, more excited about this weekend upcoming. We've had a great turnout as far as signups go and, uh, and by far the most uh, that are planning to be here from our church um, than the other two years. So we're excited that it's grown and, uh, and yeah, we're really looking forward to it, man. So pr- planning and praying accordingly. And uh, if you're listening, gentlemen, haven't signed up, you need to get signed up for that. No doubt. Yeah, you can do uh,
0: a sign up uh, old school, paper, pencil, uh, in the sanctuary on that little table to, um, if you're looking at the stage to the left side of the piano, you go put your name down. You can also sign up online using the form, but make sure you don't miss out this opportunity. As I've heard growing up, don't cheat yourself out of a blessing. I think the Lord is going to bless us tremendously this weekend or this coming up weekend also, uh, I know that you, Dr. Bosak, are actually falling on the fishing pole and uh, humbly serving uh, the men of uh, our church and Sharon Baptist by going down and casting your pole into the waters
1: of the Gulf. So we're recording this on a uh, Thursday. So last night we were at church and I was telling uh, those who were there, you know, I'd I don't want to pat myself on the back. I don't need a thank you, but I just want to tell you the kind of pastor I am, right? And you you've provided a good segue to say it here on the podcast that I am willing to sacrifice my effort, my time to go down to the Gulf of Mexico and to catch as many snappers as I can to come back for the fish fry. I know I know some are are just more committed and willing to put themselves out there for their flock, and I have I happen to be named among those. But no, uh, I, all joking aside, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to getting down fishing, obviously, and uh, and prepare for a good fish fry on Friday. Hopefully, we're going to be able to have snappers as opposed to catfish, and uh, and have a good time for that. So, if we're going to have fish, somebody's got to catch it, and it may as well be me so selfless, so selfless. I'm not salty at all about it because
0: I can't go, but that's okay because I get to hang out with my family and, uh, that anatomy scan with old Joe. Salty,
1: salty, pun intended. That's exactly so, right. Yeah. You, caught,
0: you caught it. You a caught the drift. Yes. A different
1: kind of salty up Correct. here for sure. Correct. But yeah, man, men's conference going to be great. Hopefully, uh, we will just have a tremendous, uh, fish fry Friday night, great food the next morning, but uh, more importantly than the actual food, we're going to uh, dive in and be fed spiritually. And uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to all the different aspects of that weekend coming up for sure.
0: Awesome. Two more things for you. Uh, one is we have started on Wednesday nights after a service over on the basketball court by the student center, pickleball you don't know what pickleball is, pickleball is the mix between tennis, ping pong, badminton, and wii sports. So, that's pretty much what it is, right? Yes, the ball does look similar to a pickle in its hue, but it is not shaped like a pickle, that would be weird, right? So, make sure if you want to get plugged in with pickleball, Go ahead, come to Wednesday night service, and then afterwards go out there, have a blast. They'll be out there. We've got lights, so you can have all kinds of fun, and till we tell you to go home. So, the last thing that I want to bring up to you guys, um, I'm going to have a youth parent meeting Wednesday, August 30th. There are some things that, as we go into the the new year, specifically the fall that uh, we need to discuss. I've got some new students that uh, their parents need to be caught up to speed on what we do in the life of Rooted Youth, and we need to discuss uh, the upcoming events and different things, and I honestly want to have a heart-to-heart and be able to minister well to the parents and the youth that are under my care, so I want to make sure that I can answer as many questions as possible. So mark your calendars Wednesday, August 30th after services meet over in the student center. We're going to have a blast. Uh, We are going to pray for the families, for the youth group, for the church, the community, and for the rest of the year that God would do a mighty work in our midst.
1: So ministry to teenagers is crucial. It's important for them to lay that foundation of faith, but it's also important to recognize that you uh, take seriously the discipleship effort of parents. So I love that you want to come alongside them, pray with them, minister to them as well, and uh, and help equip them uh, for leading their families. So that's wonderful, man, excited for what God is doing in the student ministry. And uh, I know this kind of, it's become almost inc- an incidental mantra, this blending of faith and fun, uh, things like the rafting trip, but also... Um, praying and, and learning together and, uh, diving into the word, man. So well done. Excited for what the Lord has in store for y'all.
0: We're going to shift gears now. Uh, this podcast episode is entitled theology questions. Everyone should know. And, uh, this is going to be part one of a part two or two part series. On these questions that we feel are very important, and there are certain concepts within the Christian faith and Christian doctrine that we deem uh, to be vital for the Christian life, and so we want to discuss them briefly, discuss biblically what they are, Uh, and also we want to give you some book recommendations. I know that we do a lot of book recommendations, podcast recommendations, but uh, there are several that I think would be myself and uh, Dr. Bosak. I don't know why I call you Dr. Bosak and not Andrew all the time.
1: Uh, Dr. Andrew's fine. <laughs> Dr. Andrew. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you, you call me what you wish. Uh, so many, and I've gotten kind of gotten used to it, uh, this, just speaking of titles, um, we we would, br- Brother Andrew, Brother brother Braylon, you know, at our previous church, not a whole lot to hear. Um, I'm just more referred, referred to most of the time as preacher. So preacher, what you doing? So that little West Tennessee accent. So preacher, pastor, brother, hey you, uh, whatever is all good, man. Sweet. I like it.
0: We've got several uh, recommendations. The first one, that I think would be very beneficial for uh, those that have teenagers or fixing to have teenagers, Everyday Theology for Teens. Uh, You can get it at LifeWay. It goes, I believe it's a nine-session series uh, going through different elements, uh, Scripture, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, humanity, salvation, end times, uh, the the role of the church, that kind of thing. And it goes through biblically— uh, what the Bible says, it uh, talks about the different views within different denominations and throughout history, uh, common heresies, that kind of thing. So I think it'd be very beneficial to any uh, youth and uh, any parent of youth because you, uh, you're you the primary ones that are training up your child in, in the way they should go. So that's the, one, uh, the first one I would recommend. The other one, because we've done... Uh, master's studies in theology. Uh, for me, I did uh, my work with the book Systematic Theology by uh, Millard uh, Erickson, and I know that
1: you used Wayne Grudem's book as well. Use Wayne Grudem. Uh, it's a it's a good a good resource, a couple others, and these are giant books. I mean, these are tomes, basically. There's another one that just has uh, different articles, uh, but very substantive. It's the editors, Elwell, and different people have added to it. So you got Grudem, you got Elwell, and I've enjoyed Frame, uh, Frame's Theology, another giant book. And uh, I certainly recommend them for looking into issues deeply. But at the same time, uh, if you would want to do that, uh, particularly those here at First Baptist Church, I've made my library open to anybody who wants to come and borrow to include those theology books. Now, I will say, when I lend out a book, I usually inscribe the inner cover, it says you have borrowed this book from Pastor Andrew, and if you do not return it, may you be accursed. Wow. <laughs> it's wow. It's helpful. It's helpful. I've gotten them all back. so uh, I, it's, it's I would imagine so. Yeah, oh my so, gosh. Oh man. So in all seriousness, uh, First Baptist Church, you're listening. Uh, these theology books are at, at your disposal. You're welcome to them. Uh, the only books that I, I say aren't available are, like right now I'm preaching on Matthew. I need my commentaries and my um, resources on Matthew. But other than that, I got a ton of books and uh, would love to lend them out if anybody is in need, theology and otherwise. Yeah, I echo
0: that as well. My library is available to all. I don't know if I will do the inscription of the Let You Be Accursed, but I might steal uh, a snippet from the uh, Emperor's New Groove where it says, property of Braylon, do not touch except for Braylon, and that kind of thing. So it's like the ginormous
1: paragraph. Like I said, uh, I have not not gotten a book back. So I'm telling you, it's been effective. We're not talking about fines, you know, no library fines, 25 cents a day overdue, et cetera. The curse thing works, man. I'm just saying. All right. I might
0: steal it. Might steal it. Well, actually I know I probably won't steal it because I don't want to be accursed. All right. Let's shift gears now. We are actually going to talk about several different facets of the Christian faith, uh, the foundational pillars, if you will. Uh, and so we're going to start out with one that is extremely foundational, if not one of the most foundational um, aspects of the Christian faith, Scripture, and uh, specifically uh, talking about several different points. And so um, we're going to start out with just, you can talk briefly, uh, just give us a brief overview of Scripture, just your your
1: beginning thoughts, and then we're going to dive into a couple of different questions about Scripture. So this is kind of how I'm seeing this particular podcast. We just referenced some theology books. Those last few we, re- we referenced, Grudem, Erickson, Frame, those are five and 600 page books. And there's literally hundreds of pages devoted to Scripture. So if we, like we... Regularly do we'll give food illustrations. If one of those books would be like the main meal, the entree, then all we're really going to be able to do is cover a little bit of the appetizer. So, this is going to be not exhaustive. I mean, there's no way in a in a short podcast in this this context for us to be able to discuss this at length. But we're going to touch on some of the things that are helpful as we think about. These different aspects of theology, as we discuss them together. So this is the appetizer, and if you want the entree, come to our uh, office and uh, and grab it. You're more than welcome to do so. But my thoughts on scripture is 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 really uh, there's there was a shift, and I really can't pinpoint it uh, as far as a particular time. But growing up in church, hearing literally my entire life this is the Bible this is God's word this is how we direct our lives it was something that I think I had skewed in my perspective uh developing that that this is this is essentially God's list of rules and I would feel bad when I broke the rules and I would say man this is uh this is a a weight around my neck almost, important, certainly, and I saw the Bible as crucial, but it was something that more, I would say, inhibited me and was a struggle. And and my perspective change was this, and again, I really can't pinpoint it when it happened, but I began to see the Bible more as God's uh, charitable, gracious, loving way that he inserts his truth into our lives. And yes, giving us rules, no doubt, but giving us the way to follow the rules, the, the meeting us in our time of need, and e- even drawing us to himself with continued reference to prayer and, and love, uh, for our time before the throne and, and calling us to greater faithfulness. So it's not, this is what the Bible says, follow it. No, this is God's calling, his loving calling to us, to a place of his grace, to a place of uh, pleasing him, to a place of, of his greatest blessings. So uh, as, as we begin this, yes, there, there's, absolutely theological aspects of this. But the practical side of this is when my perspective changed that it's not, you know, God with a frown handing me a, a to-do list. It's God, you know, in His goodness and grace, giving me a guide to direct my life with for the sake of my flourishing and for the sake of my family And for the sake of our fruitfulness. So, so grateful for that perspective change. Not sure when it happened, but I'm surely uh, grateful that it did. Amen. How encouraging that
0: the law condemns, and we've been going through Galatians, and so it's kind of fresh in my mind, right? The law condemns, the law has no salvific work or nature. It only points to our desperate need for a Savior, and through Christ, there is no condemnation. And so we have that freedom to live and to walk and to adhere to these commands, not in our own strength, but in the power of His Holy Spirit. And we're saved and we're set free for a purpose. As Galatians says, "We are uh, it's for freedom that you've been set free. And I heard it one time. And I echo this, and I love the way that you're framing Scripture. It's not the set of rules to make us feel bad. It's something that leads us to joy and to love and to all of these elements and attributes of Christ because we become like Christ when we adhere to this word, that it is the freedom not to do what we must, but the freedom to do what we ought. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, And so I want to talk briefly give you some, uh, some different questions uh, that are very important as we contemplate Scripture. The first one is, has to deal with inerrancy. We believe that the Scriptures are inerrant or without error. There is no discrepancy. There's no contradiction. There's, there's nothing in there that contradicts any other part of Scripture.
1: So my question to you is, why must Scripture be without error? I hate to say it's an all or nothing kind of thing, but if we step back from that perspective of inerrancy, then then we essentially become the authority. Every Sunday we place ourselves under the authority of Scripture and saying this is this is God's inerrant word to us. And if we will back off of any part of that. Being true, then again, with another food illustration, then it just becomes, instead of an authoritative word, it becomes a biblical buffet. Give me some of that joy. Give me some of that peace. Give me some of that freedom. But that other part of make disciples that other part of bear one another's burdens, that other part of give generously, those other parts of et cetera, et cetera, the the maybe more difficult parts of following Christ, I'll just leave those on the buffet. So it's either, it's either, and I mean, it really, I guess, is as simple as it's either God's word or it's not. It's either his authoritative loving word to us or it's not, and once we once we will back down from the foundation of inerrancy, then everything else crumbles. So if his word isn't authoritative, and let me just let me just you know buzzword this, if his word isn't authoritative in the area of gender, and that there's gender roles, if his word isn't authoritative on the gender roles aspect then why would it be authoritative and inerrant on the salvation aspect of it? Why would I believe John 3.16 and not those areas of First Peter where he talks about gender roles? So again, once we once we discredit one part, then what makes the other part important? So again, there's so much more to it, but it's kind of a, an all or nothing kind of thing. It's either inerrant or it's not, and it's authoritative or it's not.
0: I agree. So obviously scripture within itself does not contradict itself, but it also has, and I said it multiple times and I believe in previous, um, podcasts, there is a historical, uh, validity to scripture as well. So it actually is backed up by historical events. It's, uh, it is faced by the same criteria that historians use in other writings. And so, uh, Everything within Scripture, all the criteria that we put on Scripture, including it interpreting itself, lends itself to it being inerrant. And uh, and so well said about either it's an all or nothing thing. If there is any error within, then there is cause for concern and relativity to uh, to our thought process. We become God at that point,
1: really, because we can choose what we can what we
0: can and cannot
1: dictate as being truth. I love what you said about the historical aspect of it and this whole, I don't know if we're going to get into the specific theological perspective on inspiration. I might be jumping ahead, but there's there's the reality that it's inspired and because it's inspired, it's inerrant came from the the Holy Spirit inspiring uh, men, human authors to write these things down. And yet you can see uh, their different personalities coming through. You can see almost what the Apostle Paul was like by how he wrote. And you touched on the historical aspect of it and there being no contradiction. And the reality that you have different accounts of certain events in the gospel. So many people will cite that and say, well, this gospel says something different. Well, no, that's just different guys seeing it from different perspectives. That's one of the reasons we actually know that it's a valid historical account, because these were different people from different perspectives, different walks of life, different backgrounds. So they're going to interpret their events around them differently differently. There's no contradiction in that. And yet, what so many people use to argue against the Bible is actually reasons for us to believe it. Even if you and I would give a commentary on what happened in the office this morning, I would talk about different events. We're in the same place. We walked into the same office, but we're different people, different backgrounds coming from it, different perspectives. Your office has a window, mine doesn't. So that's going to change the way we see things. And it's uh, historically uh, valid, a, an incredible document with no contradiction, and yet you see some of the aspects of the human author coming out. And some of these supposed contradictions actually shows us and reminds us that, no, these are accounts of actual events. Because if it was one contrived story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would have gotten together and said, look, we got to fake these accounts. they all got to be the same. And it would have been exactly the same, but the way we know that it wasn't is because different guys from different perspectives. So the historicity aspect of it is another wonderful thing to discuss and and think about as well.
0: Amen. You know, I like the, uh, the word historicity and canonicity and all that fun stuff.
1: Threw that in there just for you, man. Your eyes light up with the word historicity. You're welcome. I'm I'm here for you, man. That's
0: right. I'm just excited. I can pronounce it. Uh, You're talking about the inspiratory nature of Scripture. I believe that's called verbal plenary inspiration, where God gives those words. It's not a verbatim. You know, these are the exact words. Uh, He uses the backgrounds, the writing styles, the experiences to form um, those writings. So it's really cool to see that, again, validating uh, Scripture for what it is, being not only historically accurate, but without error as well. Last thing is really when we're talking about the, uh, for instance, the resurrection, the first people to meet or to see the empty tomb were women. And uh, if the the writers wanted to be uh, more believable in their time, they would have not included that account because women didn't really have any kind of testimony. They weren't even reliable witnesses in court at that time. And that's actually called the criteria of embarrassment, where they leave in these things because they are real, actual things that happen, and they don't sugarcoat anything to make it seem more believable. So really cool stuff.
1: Just to touch on that, I wrote an article not too long ago that talked about the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And I started that article and I said, isn't it a blessing to you that Paul and Barnabas had a conflict? It it's, it, you know, you thinking about it specifically, yeah, you never want there to be conflict. But again, talking uh, your criteria of embarrassment perspective, that again, if it was just some contrived, made up religious story, then Paul and, and Barnabas, when they're they're kind of making up their stories, if it was, they they wouldn't have been like, hey, let's put in this conflict and really throw them off. No, it actually happened. This took place. And uh, also, it's it's helpful to know that even these guys... Paul and Barnabas, the greatest, Paul being the greatest missionary and church planer ever. Barnabas, obviously being an incredible man of God, generous, the the son of encouragement. I mean, just an, a, a wonderful man. If they would uh, have an opportunity to uh, have conflict and then eventually come back together, it's just so encouraging to us today uh, that, um, that God... His word is accurate. And yet again, it meets us in our time of need. These these figures that we hold up almost deify them. The Apostle Paul, man, he struggled with relationships. How encouraging is that for us? And again, it's God with his inerrant word meeting us in our time of need. Because if we read about Paul and he never had any problems or conflicts or struggles or sin, then we'd be like, dude, we're, we're... just the worst, but when we read about things like that, it should be encouraging to us in a number of ways. I agree. Can you touch briefly, because we've already ta- uh, talked about the um,
0: the scriptures being inspired by God, can you touch briefly on the difference between general and special revelation? We That's kind of the beginning portions of when we talk about scripture in uh, systematic theology books. Talk briefly about that, and then we're going to talk about the sufficiency of scripture
1: well, different people use the different uh terms differently, so uh, it's hard to even have one pinpoint definition for for specific terms, but as we think about revelation and we think about how God has spoken to us, it is our perspective it is our our holding that that we have the complete uh, authoritative revelatory action of God in the Bible. And there's other parts people claim to have outside extra biblical special revelation. I'm assuming that's kind of what you're getting at there. The reality is, is that the Bible is a closed book, you know, and you want to be careful because our Bibles should be open. We should open our Bibles regularly. The preacher said to close my Bible. All right. No, when I say closed, I mean the canon is closed. That that what is needed and what is included in God's revelation to us is is included in that book so we don't we can't add to the word of God now do i believe that God still provides individual revelation for us outside of scripture yes there was no chapter and verse that i looked at read or turned to that said Andrew, I'm calling you to be the pastor at First Baptist Church, Savannah, Tennessee, right? But I claim that God called me here. So we would consider that an aspect of special, individual, however you want to call it, that aspect of a personal revelation between myself and God. That's what I claim. Now, what we have to be careful to do is that the Bible, being God's, completed, closed canon uh, of Scripture. This is what it is. We always have to filter what we claim as special revelation through that word, and that word is authoritative. The Bible is the ultimate authority. We are children of God. We believe that He provides us, you know, impulses and and inclinations as to what his personal will for our lives is. But if those claims ever contradict the claims of scripture, then we say the Bible is what is authoritative. And again, this is God being charitable and gracious to us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And here we go, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Because Our heart is deceitfully wicked and a lot of things that we can maybe even claim or discern from God. And, you know, you've got so many people, well, this, you know, they, in every coincidence, there's the Lord and, you know, there's all that aspect of it. Um, And yet at the same time, God is certainly sovereign. So the authority is the word of God. The authoritative revelation that we have is found in the Bible, and any special revelation that we receive as His children are meant to be filtered by that book. So I would say, all right, if God—just take my church special revelation example—if I was— You know, I believe God might be calling me here, you know, and I got to the church and uh, it didn't obviously turn out this way because here I am. But say I got here and it wasn't, you know, a biblical framework if they didn't believe in the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. I'd say, well, God must not be calling me there, even though I might feel like it because it's not a a place where they uphold the scripture. So we have to recognize that. And there's also this aspect of people claiming authoritative uh, prophetic witness still to this day, and there's obviously a problem with that, and I think you're going to speak to that specifically.
0: Yeah, I actually put up a uh, a podcast from For the Gospel talking about, are there uh, modern-day prophets? Are the modern-day prophets reliable? Um, there's another one talking about the apostles. Some people call themselves apostles. Uh, there's problems with both of those titles, obviously, because it assumes that your word is on the same par as Scripture, and we believe that uh, Scripture is indeed sufficient for everything. The Bible is closed, like you're talking about. And uh, while we uh, are technically called, technically, if you want to get it, uh, we prophesy in a certain sense because we speak the words of God as revealed in Scripture, there is no extra revelation that's on par with scripture. So there is no prophecy going on
1: today. So the prophetic outflow, if you will, is meant as we communicate the word of God, as the Lord allows us to teach and, and speak and dig into, after careful study, the word of God, not, hey, I woke up this morning, I had this vision this is what we're going to do. And there are some people that are claiming those words of prophecy and claiming that their word is authoritative on par with the word of God. We would push back against that and say that the Lord, yes, still does lead us by his word, but he does so through the Bible.
0: Agreed. And if you want, um, Avid example of that. You look at the uh, Branch Davidians in Waco with David Koresh. You look at Joseph Smith having some extra biblical things. You look at Mormonism. You look at all these different places. You even look at the Catholic Church using non-inspired writings. Um, you know, like the Apocrypha and the Maccabees and all these things. And uh, there, there are contradictions there. And uh, so it goes back to our inerrancy of Scripture. So stick with the Word of God, and as I believe the Reformers say, sola scriptura. So we're now going to move on to talk about another important aspect. And again, this is just part one, uh, but we're going to talk specifically about the church. Um, In the next couple of podcasts, uh, we're probably going to talk about uh, the Trinity, talk about different aspects of that. But for now we deem it important to talk about God's body on earth, God's children on earth and being the church. So I want to talk about this briefly and give you a kind of a statement and then have you uh, just talk about the importance of it. uh, Talk to me about the importance of Jesus being the head of the church and not the pastor, the elders, the deacons,
1: the financial people, or the uh, building and grounds committee. Well Christ being the head again this this aspect of authority and he he's the one that died for the church that and and again we just can only speak really from our personal perspective but just as a pastor my my job is to not provide my perspective my you know own personal vision or anything self-serving when it comes to leading Christ's church because he's the one that died for it he's the one that established it he's the one that will grow it and he's the one that's going to return for her so it's it's his church and as we have that perspective that that leadership aspect is going to determine how the the practical realities take place within the church. So we get up, we talk about our leadership, our our visions, our hope, our prayer, uh, how we are inserting ourselves into the life of the church and it's always that this is for the sake of Christ, it's for the sake of his gospel, it's for the sake of his kingdom. It's you know in given to us in stewardship and as we are leading and as we're discussing on this podcast, we're, we're both leaders in the church, but our leadership is directly impacted by our perspective that we are here not to grow Andrew's church, not to grow Braylon's church, not to, to even grow the church ourselves at all. Our job is to uphold Christ. Our job is to worship Him. Our job is to place ourselves under the authority of His Word, and we're grateful to be under shepherds, but we always have to have the, the good shepherd as the, the lead figure of every decision we make, and that really does change so much of the, yes, kind of theological perspectives, but it does change the practical outflow of how we lead We are here to love and lead God's people and to steward this for a time and to be under shepherds for his glory. And so much of that is relevant when we will look at, I think in a second, John 21, when it came to Jesus commissioning Peter essentially uh, as an under shepherd.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, obviously us being pastors, we have uh, the good shepherd, as you mentioned which is Christ, head of the church, and then we have the under-shepherd, which I would call you the under-shepherd, and then if you've seen the office, then I am the assistant regional manager to the under-shepherd, I think, so you're welcome. But that's important to understand our roles because I know for me— there are some churches that will sit in staff meeting and they'll say, why is our attendance dropping? Why is uh, there not as much excitement in ministry? Why is there not a lot of excitement in our in our congregation? Um, why does it seem dull? We got to do something different. We got to figure something out. We got to do something. We, we, we. And it's all the way home. And so we have to, you're welcome. So we have to we have to rub heads together and figure out what God wants from us when in actuality we don't actually seek out his counsel to achieve what he's called us to do in the first place. I remember sitting in multiple different meetings in my past times of ministry and I had no words and I was just coming up with trying to come up with anything and everything that would possibly be a good idea and Then you realize, and after a couple of months of doing it, that it doesn't work. Where do you go from there? Does that mean that God's dropped the ball? Does that mean that he doesn't want the church to flourish? No, it means that you haven't tuned in to his blueprint for your church. So what we need to do is just pray for God to give us a fresh direction to preach the word with clarity and precision and accuracy and prep and to lead our ministries, as you said, to love each other,
1: and love God as well. Well, shout out to Jared C. Wilson, who I'm sure is a listener. He is a a professor at Midwestern Seminary. He is an author, a pastor, and he runs the For the Church uh, entity, the resource from the seminary. And he has said, and this has been so helpful to me and I think relevant for what you're saying Uh, talking about leadership, talking about pastoring, talking about the church, uh, talking about uh, growing the church. And he says, what you win them with is what you win them to. So if you win people, if your church grows based upon upholding Christ, preaching the gospel, uh, just involving yourself in kingdom realities, if you're winning them with the truth, then you're winning them to the truth if you win them with anything else an experience and that's that's kind of and there's nothing wrong with being relevant there's nothing wrong with you know being up to date there's nothing wrong with you know uh different aspects of uh of speaking the language of of younger people if you will now i think some churches have taken the trendiness to another ridiculous level however we're not going to get into that it's just part 1 and an appetizer after all but what you win people with is what you win them to. If you win them with the gospel, then you win them to the gospel. If you win them with an experience, once they deem another experience more scintillating, then they are going to roll out for that other experience. Uh, that that somebody, I think it was Billy Graham. They're like, "Man, your your methods are so archaic. You know, you're you're so twenty years ago. You know." And he's like, "That's funny. I'm I'm trying to go back two thousand years." And, and I love that. There's nothing wrong with uh, having an updated church building. There's nothing wrong with being, quote, relevant. But anything else that is not uh, done with, with Christ as head and Lord and King is irrelevant. And uh, that's, that's how I think we think about the church as... And under shepherd as the assistant regional manager, whatever you're calling yourself. Our desire is Christ and his kingdom and whatever growth that produces, then it's Christ who's going to, going to lead and build his church. And we're here to make sure that it happens in that way.
0: Amen. Amen. Does that mean I can't, I can't do pizza every week in the youth group? Is that what that means? That makes me sad.
1: If you can eat pizza every week and still feed them f- theologically, you got time for that. Then great. Um, but I think you're getting at the lack of substance in some ministry efforts. Because if you're feeding them pizza, once they get tired of pizza, they, they gonna move
0: on some else. Yeah, I'm with you on that. We never want our ministries and and I know I can speak for you as well as myself. I don't want the youth group, when they get out of youth group and they go out and they reflect on their time in the rooted youth group, I don't want them to say, well, what was your favorite part? What do you remember most about that? I remember all the fun trips. I remember all the pizza. I remember all the fun times with my friends. No, I want them to look back and say, I grew so much in my walk with Christ. I learned so much. I saw God do amazing things in my life, growing me exponentially in my knowledge and my dependency and my communal outreach and my unity. I saw us grow not because of all the fun events that we did, not because of the pizza or the prizes or the games or anything like that. I saw us grow because we sat together and dove Deeply into the Word of God. We're saturated in the Word of God. It changed us, and then we lived it out and we saw great things because of it. So, and I know that you are of the same mindset. It's not just about the fun experience, it's about what Christ can do in and through us, through His Word and His Spirit. Let's move on here. Let's talk about church leadership. Let's talk about the under-shepherds of the church. Now, there are several different leadership positions in the church, right? And I want uh, briefly, if you could, tell me and the listeners the different types of leaders in the church and why they're important, and then we'll just
1: get the ball rolling from there. Well, just straight up biblically, and there's going to be different outflows of these two offices, I think, but biblically there's deacons and there's elders and the elders are, are called overseers. That's, this is where the office of pastor comes from. There's, there's no separate office. Now there's, there's some, I I think wiggle room where, where some people can, can get off base here and, and how they can justify, you know, the, the different offices, if you will, in the church, you've got, You've got you know elder, you've got pastor, you've got minister, you've got director, you've got all this different stuff. and uh, there there is a a should be a clear designation with those things. So there's deacons, which are the servants of the church. And then there's the elders, the overseers, where the office of pastor comes from. There's, there's, there's no other office. Now, could there be other staff, different people that work? Well, of course there's, there's no, you know, biblical administrative assistant, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't say, you know, that office and and that, that job is unbiblical. So let's not get crazy here. But as far as the offices, there's two of them. Now, I do think there is a a particular specific calling on a pastor. And I, I see that uh, with Jesus and Peter. And I take my framework as a pastor from there, where Jesus said, hey, if you love my people, feed them. If you love my people, uh, intercede for them. If you love my, my people, lead them well. And that that essentially lead, feed, and intercede aspect of ministry again changes completely when I see my job as stewardship of Christ's people. These aren't my people. This isn't my church. Now, we can use that terminology sometimes. I don't think it's wrong or sinful talking about my church, but in the end and at the beginning, I am here at the good pleasure of God to see uh, fit to lead his people. And that profoundly changes my perspective as a leader that uh, I I am certainly included in the office of elder and there I I believe there is a specific outflow of that 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 office is is held as a pastor and there are some that that call the pastors among the other elders a first among equals and I, I believe as there's the authoritative structure there, that that is key, that those, those others who are elders uh, speak into and should speak into the life of the church. And uh, the Bible's clear on this. There's safety in many counselors, and there should be that healthy discussion amongst the leaders of the church. Now, just take you and I. You're a minister here, you're ordained, and uh, we, we talk about, we pray about, we uh, lead the church together, but just just say there's a, a problem, an issue that, that comes up within the church. Well, because I'm the pastor, you know, the, the first among equals, as it were, and the uh, the person who uh, is in that that office of leadership, that's going to fall at my desk. That doesn't mean what you have to say is irrelevant. Certainly it is. It's more than relevant. It's, it's authoritative. We, we are in this together, if you will. And yet at the same time, there's that first among equal structure that can be difficult to navigate and yet important, no doubt. And I, I think taking my perspective from John 21 and Jesus's uh, commissioning of Peter is important in how I see the people here. They're not my people. They're Christ's people. They're not my people to order around. They're my people to teach and to lead and to love. And that's that's our mantra as a staff. We are here to love our people. And sometimes loving people means having difficult conversations, right? Um, and, and we do that. So there's different outflows of the word love, but we are here as under shepherds. We are here to lead God's people and we are here to take seriously then as elders and the requirements that are given for elders in scripture. I agree. Uh, I know growing up,
0: there seemed to be a synonymous nature with deacons and elders. So for me, if you're a deacon, you are a servant, right? Uh, not a specific leadership role, but uh, obviously in the, in the Baptist denomination, I'm sure in other places, Deacon and elder are kind of used synonymously, and so uh, when we call our deacons deacons, they have the authoritative role of elders because they give wise counsel to us. They hold us accountable, which I, I just want to say that the though that is the uh, one of the biggest, most important elements of having a deacon body, having a, a rather an elder body is accountability for us. We're not perfect. We do stumble. We do fail. We do all these things. And there are some times that we come and we say, hey, this is the direction that we want. We need help and feedback. And they give us wise counsel. And so uh, accountability is so very vital. What about the qualifications of an elder. Can you speak specifically about those qualifications? I know that was kind of a point of contention with the Southern Baptist Convention uh, this year about what's the qualifications of the elder slash overseer? Uh, Is it confined to one gender? And uh, I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that.
1: The answer to that question is yes. And we are going to save the practical outflows of that discussion for part two or three, because I know we're bumping up against the time. I think we wouldn't do justice to that answer to, to get it in here at the end. But I just think in a general sense we need to take the qualifications for elders seriously. They're found in Titus one, five through nine, first Timothy three, one through seven, and first Peter five, one through four. The reality is is that pastors are people, sinners, sinful men. And yet at the same time, if they are called to teach and to lead and to accomplish the work of the ministry in this way, they're going to give uh, a a more severe account, a a double account, it says, that that there's, if you're a teacher, you're going to give an account that pastors and elders are going to give an account for those souls that were under their care. And I think the church should and can and must do better about not just looking for charismatic speakers, not just looking for people to entertain them, but to take seriously these elder qualifications that are germane to character, that character matters more than charisma. Now, is it okay to have a charismatic leader? Sure. Is that Okay for that to be the only thing that matters. Well, no, of course not. God says that this this man, this leader, this pastor must hold the qualifications well as an elder. Now, is that pastor going to sin? Yes, we can't expect a perfect pastor. There, there is none. And yet at the same time, those pastors should be blameless, that when they do mess up, that they make things right. And that, uh, can there be a season of difficulty? And and again, I want to be so careful. And I'm not sitting here and be like, "Mm, all these elder qualifications checked. I've never struggled once, right, with these kinds of things. I've never, you know, struggled with being hospitable. I've never struggled with being slow to anger. Well, no, we're sinners. But man, if there's a sustained season of sin, unrepentant, then that church has to consider these elder qualifications seriously. And this is why it matters, Acts 2. It matters for so many different reasons, but I think this, this is one of the things that we have to connect the dots. Acts 2, First Church... Here's what was happening with them. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Now, we live in a, an increasingly contrary culture. And yet at the same time, our church should have favor. Our, our church should have a voice. Our church should be a shining light in the community. And if the pastor's behavior, legitimate behavior, detracts from that favor, detracts from that witness, detracts from that light, then that's a problem. So we should take these elder qualifications seriously. And we're not doing pastors any favors when we don't. Well, you know, they're sinners and you know, they struggle people who disqualified themselves from ministry. Yes. But when we're allowing them to be under shepherds, they're going to be ineffective, unfruitful, bring on themselves, double judgment. And if we just prop up a charismatic leader without the character, we aren't loving that leader.
0: I agree. I'm going to leave you with two things. And then we're going to do some housekeeping and, uh, Guys, stay tuned for part 2 next week. I'm pretty pumped about this. We're going to keep talking about those qualifications and uh different gender roles, that kind of thing um that is of much debate.
1: You mentioned the Trinity, Trinity earlier. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to we're going to, we're going to be like, "All right, explain the Trinity." And then there's going to be forty minutes of silence. It's going to be the. Plot. That's exactly. right. I don't know. Like, please help me. Some of this stuff is tough, man. We can we recognize the Trinity, we see it, but as far as providing an you know, illustration, explaining it, man, and I, I love the fact that there are some things about God that I can't wrap my mind around, like the Trinity, because if there wasn't and we understood everything about God, we could run the universe and we'd be in trouble.
0: I'm going to leave you with two with two things, two uh, quotes that I saw today that are very powerful reminders in my life, very convicting and what uh, I think each pastor, uh, elder, overseer should uh, really contemplate, but also each church person uh, that is in a part in a congregation should look to Uh, as a qualification for their pastor. This is H.B. Charles Jr. He says this, A desire to preach without a discipline to prepare is just a desire to perform. We don't want to perform. We want to preach to the glory of God and be disciplined in our preparatory work. This is the last thing that really got me today. And shout out to my wife because I sent it to her and I said I love you about it. God may have called you to ministry, but he's also called you to your family. Cheating your family for the sake of ministry forsakes your ministry. A powerful reminder to me that, yes, I am called to the gospel ministry, but it will not overtake my priority of my family. And so we're going to talk more about that next week. We're going to talk about these qualifications in depth. We'll talk about the Trinity, and uh, when we get there, we'll just be in utter silence, like Andrew said. This has been a Read by the River podcast, the official podcast of First Baptist Church, Savannah, Tennessee. We've got several things coming down the line in the life of our church, as we've mentioned before, but also in the life of the podcast. Obviously, part two is going to be next week, so stay tuned for that. Make sure that you're liking, you're sharing, you're commenting, you're reviewing, letting us know what we do well, what we can work on. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to have Dr. Clay Hallmark on. He is the president of the Tennessee Baptist Convention and the senior pastor at First Baptist Church, Lexington, Tennessee. And he will be discussing at length his brand new book, uh, The Heart of Church Revitalization, you don't want to miss that. I'm really excited that uh, he has agreed to come on. And so uh, make sure that you are sharing and doing all those things to make sure that everybody knows and get plugged in. Again, this has been Rooted by the River podcast. We will see you next time.